0: This is the King and Badger Show as part of the Monmouth Digital Network. And now, here are
1: your hosts, Coach King Rice and Gary the Badger Koal. Woo! Woo!
2: The ones that hate me the most look just like me. We are back, episode two of the King and Badger Podcast, coming to you from Greg Viscomi's office as he runs the boards here. Coach Rice? Happy to be back. Episode one, so much fun. I think a lot of people enjoyed it, and now we're back for episode two. Quick turnaround, heading into the holidays, but we got to give the people what they want.
0: Got to give the people what they want, Badge. Got to give the people what they want.
2: A lot going on. Uh, We're in the midst of a crazy stretch of basketball right now, but I know you wanted to kick things over. Monmouth men's basketball currently uh, on a little bit of a run, but I know you wanted to touch a little bit as we get things going here today on the women's basketball
0: program, and Coach
2: Bogus has those girls absolutely rolling right now.
0: That's what I wanted to talk about, Badge. Um, you know, we always support all the athletes here at Monmouth. It's it's what we do. And as the basketball coach, I like going to watch all the other athletes, and I, I kind of see myself as Uncle King. Um, I always high-five them. They know I'm there. They know I'm coming to their stuff. Um, I call the the champs the champs when we win. Um, and just try to big up the kids uh, so they feel good and they know someone's watching. Um, what's happening with the girls' team is just amazing, okay? I remember sitting down with Coach Jenny on, on her interview and, and just believing and looking at her and just saying to myself, man, she, she really is hitting a home run in this interview, and if she gets this job, I can't wait to support and just try to help in any way I can. And she hit the ground running recruiting-wise, just how she carries herself, how the girls are carrying themselves on campus. You know, you get to know these young ladies over the years they're here, and you just see an energy shift. You see an energy shift. You see these young ladies coming, watching our practice, laughing, high-fiving. I rebounded for Stella one day uh, with Walker, and uh, she made more than him. So I think we got a little thing going right now. We're going to find out. Who the best shooter in, in at Monmouth is between Walker and George and Stella and anybody else who wants to get in, but I just wanted to start our show to let them know we are watching and we are so happy and proud for the women's team with the success they started the season with, but just to watch their their swag come back, you know, I'm watching. It's the awesome. They're ladies. smiling.
2: They're having fun. It's so refreshing to watch.
0: It's just cool because you see their bop. OK, you're seeing these young ladies now, their confidence is going through the roof and, and it's still a long way to go, you know, and coach is reminding them of that. But it's just see, it's so fun to see the the transformation.
2: i women, want to know in the MAC beat Iona last weekend. And like coach alluded to, it's just been awesome to watch that group kind of come together. Coach, we'll flip it over to your team real quick. We come off a win here over Colgate. Uh, good win over Colgate Patriot League favorite couple NCAA tournaments recently and a really good Colgate team, a little bit shorthanded. Um, I want to get into the game a little bit, but everybody can read the numbers. Everybody can read what we put out. I can recite stats to you. Nobody wants to hear that. I think one of the focal points yesterday for me was listening to you talk after the game was, and I know you probably can't get into too much of it here, but the difference between the first half and the second half from our team, we really defended in the second half where we gave up some open looks in the first half. What, as PG as you can, take us through that halftime locker room.
0: Well, I think the, the cool thing is is I have Micah Seaborn and Josh, ja- Josh James helping this year. So when, when you've coached a long, long time like the rest of us, you see certain things. And when you're a young guy, you see some other things. And those guys sitting next to me helps me a lot. Um, but sometimes, <laughs> sometimes because they're young, they get me going. They get me going, and Micah was calling out every mistake. Micah was calling out every time someone was tired. Micah never made a mistake. No, Micah still hasn't made any mistakes, and we all know that. That's Micah. Come on, guys. All right, but he calls out everything, and Josh James is the same way. And yesterday, it was Coach Meeks' scout. So the first play of the game, we didn't do right. Coach Meeks is going crazy on the sideline. Josh leans over and goes, hey, Coach, do you know who scout this is today? <laughs> so I'm like, okay, now these guys messing around with Coach Meeks. But then when you watch the game, we just didn't look like ourselves, okay? And I'm, I'm big on how we feel and, and keeping their heads in the right place. And we were not Mammoth basketball in the first half on the defensive end. This team can really score the ball, so we're going to score points. Teams can try to trick us, do a whole bunch of stuff. But what makes us good is the toughness and how we play defense, defense. And it was like because their main guard wasn't in, it was like we we just took our foot off the gas on our defense. And we didn't pressure, we didn't get after people. They were very comfortable. I felt like the game was going in slow motion. And that's how they wanted to play because they're very good on offense and a lot of people can't guard them. So we needed to really go after them, and and we just did not do that in the first half. And uh, we had a flashback, Badge. We had a flashback to one of my first years when I would totally lose my mind at halftime. I didn't lose it this time, but they, they felt part of my mind. And the great thing about this group is how they respond. And then I feel bad for, for the words I chose yesterday, and I met with some kids this morning and apologized for some of the things. But they understand we, we, we're, we're expecting top shelf every single time we get on the floor, especially the first home game in a long time. You know, our fans deserve our best, and I'm never going to settle for not our best on our effort.
2: What's telling to me about that is that and we've talked ad nauseum about the amount of seniors we have and the veterans, but we come out of the locker room and a group that gets kind of yelled at and torn up in the locker room like that at halftime might come out a little lethargic, scared to make a mistake. George comes out first play, gets his hand in the passing lane, steal, dunk and transition. We kind of offered running from there. Just speaks so much to the maturity of this group where it wasn't put your head down and say, okay, I can't make a mistake. Cause coach is going to yell at me. It was, we need to be more aggressive. We need to play our style of basketball and, as soon as George put his hand in and, and got the dunk in transition, I was like, okay, I think we might be in a good place here.
0: No, and that's the thing. These guys, no one takes it personal. Um, sometimes as a coach, you have to get after your team. And I've gotten better over the years. It hasn't had to have been too many times. Um, and, and it's a different group of kids, okay? The, the, the world is changing. And even at, in my home, how, how you parent. The, the world is changing, and just yelling at people to get something done, is it's never been a great way to do it, sometimes effective, but never been a great way. And I think this generation is showing us you don't have to scream at me to get me to do things the right way. Yesterday we snatched them back in line a little bit, and it worked. But we, we don't want to have to do this all the time, and this group doesn't make you. And then how, like I said, how they responded. We had a good laugh about it today. Um, These guys are amazing. They know I feel that way. But sometimes even nice kids have to be reminded of what we're here for. And we're here to get out on that court and perform at a certain level. And that's what I'm here for, to to make sure that we do that. And yesterday we had to shake it up a little bit, and then it, it got back going how it's supposed to.
2: 10 and two after the win over Colgate, uh, the best start in program history, 10 and two is the best start we've ever had, um, in our division one history, I should say, we move forward to Hofstra something you talked about yesterday that I really wanted to get into, um, that Greg and I talked a little bit about last night is you mentioned Speedy Claxton and they're coming to our building on Wednesday night, Hofstra. I've heard you do some interviews already this year, um through my line of work at communications with some other broadcasters and media where you talk about that there's been an uptick in black head coaches in college basketball speedy, obviously another one of those guys. But when you step back and look at the list, we've competed against a lot of African-American head coaches this year, which to me just speaks to what your point is, is that there's been more guys getting opportunities. Reggie Witherspoon, Mike Anderson, James Jones, uh, Jeff Capel, Ron Sanchez at Charlotte. Like, that's five or six guys already just in the non-conference that we've played against as well as Spoon. I guess you're kind of, you know, unique in this role to talk about this, but I just think it's really cool. And you can see firsthand the progress we're making.
0: Well, I think guys, you you have to go back, you know, you have to go back and look at it. Yeah. You have to see trends. You have to look at what's going on in the world and just take college basketball. Okay. We had some giants in the game, you know, with coach Thompson and coach Cheney, and the guys that when I was a kid, okay? And there's guys before that. Okay? But when you look at it, there's 300 schools and you look at the numbers, it's ridiculous the amount of guys that are black head coaches, okay? That that get an opportunity. And for a long time, guys, when I was an assistant coach in this business, it was almost like you were made to feel like why would you think you could be a head coach? And when I was a young guy in this business, that hurt me. You know, I was like, well, why can't I be a head coach? I played for Dean Smith at North Carolina. I worked for Kevin Stallings. He's great at teaching me this game. What is it about me that says I can't be a head coach? And I knew it was partly it's a hard thing to be able to become. You know, a lot of guys didn't get a chance that are probably way better at it than me. You know, so I I understand how fortunate I am that I got this opportunity. But for a long time, we were made to feel like in this business – we didn't deserve or we weren't the type of guy that could lead a program. And, you know, and then when I got my opportunity, you know, there, were, there wasn't a lot of guys that I could lean on to talk to. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm owing 8 <laughs> and I didn't know. I didn't have anybody to talk to, okay? And you, you have coaches that are your mentors and all that stuff, but they have a season, too. And, you know, there just wasn't enough guys that you could reach out to and say, hey, man, I thought this was going to be like this. And it's really not like that at all, you know, because your staff is expecting you to know Your everybody who hired is expecting you to know. And you can't come in and be 0 and eight. What are you doing? And And it's a hard, hard transition, especially when no one was training me up to say you're going to sit in this seat someday. So now when you, you see in the last year and a half, two years, more guys getting opportunities, and what they're doing with that opportunity is amazing. You know, Speedy Claxton, he's probably the most famous guy to ever play there. Okay? I was a little older than Speedy, but I watched him closely. You know, when he was a young guy, nobody was picking him to be the pro. Then he goes to college at Hofstra and becomes an, almost basically an All-American makes the pros, plays 13, 10, 12 years, then gets into coaching. He didn't have to do that. He got into coaching wide, like the most rest of us. You want to help kids. You see something that you could add. So then he gets in, and he's doing an incredible job just because he's, he's Claxton, Claxton. He can help kids just that look like him. He can sit down with you. He can walk in any home. But most of the time, your your ceiling was top assistant. So I'm happy for him. Um, I'm proud to be a, a black head coach. Uh, and I'm so fortunate that it was I got picked to be the coach here and got mentored by Dr. McNeil. And, you know, she taught me a lot of things because our walk was very similar, her being a woman's AD early, you know. And she was able to help me on my journey because some of the things she went through as a woman in athletics, and now I'm going through it as a male black head coach, and when I see another brother get this opportunity, I, I cheer. I stand up for him. I call guys when they're struggling early in their careers. If, you know, if guys are not starting out the way they thought they would, I always hit them and just let them know people are watching, man. You're doing a great job. And there's a person here that you can call. And uh, I'm excited to compete against Speedy. Um, I played hostel for a whole bunch of times. This one makes it a little bit cooler this time because it's our first time doing this with him being in charge there and me being the coach at Monmouth.
2: What are some of those conversations like that you have with, with maybe younger black head coaches or even younger guys that are assistants trying to become head coaches? Take us through maybe some of those conversations, how they go, and, and kind of what your message is as, as you said, somebody that's now been through it for 11 years and obviously still learning what are those conversations like maybe on both ends with the younger guys? And then the conversations that you have with guys like Leonard Hamilton, guys like Mike Anderson.
0: Well, uh, you know, it's, it, it goes when guys were trying to help me, to me calling guys. Um, I called Ashley Howard at LaSalle. Okay. I remember starting 0 and 8. I think he was 0 and 6, 0 and 5. And you're careful with it. Cause you don't want to hit someone when they're down and you know, cause we're competitive guys and it, 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 you, you, you want to make sure it's the right time. And, and I just called him and said, yo, man, I'm watching. Okay, you're doing a great job, man. Okay, you're doing it. And he's like, King, come on, man. I haven't won a game yet. And it's like, "That's you got brought there for other things too, okay, not just to win the games. And I'm watching your team play. And I was fortunate I got to see him play against Xander's team. Um, so I got to see one in person. And the energy his kids were playing with had to be different. And just watching him on the sideline, how he was carrying himself in a tough situation, because you got to remember he was at Villanova. They had won two national championships. He wasn't used to not having success, and now all of a sudden it's you, and you're not with the head coach, and you don't have those All Americans, and you're using the stuff you got trained to use, and it's not working. So self doubt can creep in. So I just try to call as for support. And with the younger guys, I make sure they know you're worthy to be a head coach. You're probably better at it than I am. Okay, never let anybody tell you you're just a recruiter because that was the thing before. We could recruit, we could X and O. We could do that part of it because we need somebody on our staff that could help the young guys, but we're not going to let them make the choices and, and make the decisions. You know, So I let guys know they are very worthy of being a head coach. Okay. I talk to guys about trying to make sure you're doing the best job where you're at. That's what will get you recognized. Everybody started talking about you got to build your brand. Well, if I'm the head coach and you're building your brand, is, you know, we talk to the kids about stuff like that. Okay. You're supposed to be a team guy. So you building your own brand doesn't fit in the team game, you know, but the world right now is telling young people you got to build your own brand. Well, then you're going to have a hard time becoming an assistant coach if that's all you're worried about, building your brand. Because I'm asking you to join my family, and we're not trying to build brands. We're trying to get Mammoth to be the best basketball program in the country. Okay, so so you got to be careful with, you know, the changing times to make sure you fit what college basketball is all about. But never let anybody pigeonhole you into thinking you're just a recruiter. OK, I could recruit. I always could recruit when I was in a little kid. I could recruit kids to play on my team. When I went to high school, I could recruit guys. When I went to college, I could recruit guys. I always was the one that took the guys out. So I don't need someone on the outside to tell me I can recruit. I know what it's about. I know it's about building relationships. And that's what we try to do here at Mammoth. So I talk to guys about making sure you're well-rounded. Um, You can recruit, but you got to be able to do basketball too because we're basketball coaches, all right? And then you have to carry yourself like you're going to be a head coach someday. So watch your head coach. Watch other head coaches. And don't sit there going, I'm going to do it better than him. Learn from him because he's dealing with some things that you don't even know exist in college basketball. So try to get next to your head coach so he can slow walk you or fast walk you depending on how you do to get you ready for an opportunity someday. And when you are ready and you get your chance, that doesn't mean you're gonna be great at it. It's a lot of hard work, okay? It's way harder than I ever thought, okay, way harder. And every day of it, you better be built for it or you won't be in it long. That's what I talk to guys about.
2: It's a good message and it's it's just something that you don't really hear a lot about from, you know, from the outside. It, it, kind of that brotherhood that you guys have formed in college basketball. Hofstra comes in Wednesday night. Good program. They've uh, had our number recently. Um, but you had a chance up. Uh, one last thing I want to touch on before we get into our interview guests today, which is going to be a lot of fun. Um You had a chance to see Joe Mahalik up at, at Niagara. He was being inducted into their Hall of Fame. I know you guys had a good conversation. Unfortunate, obviously, that he's not still at Hofstra doing what he does best is being a really good college basketball coach, but. Maybe just a little bit about what it was like to see Joe and, and talk to him and get some of his thoughts on, on what was going on.
0: Well, Coach Mahalik is is what I call in this business. He's he's a lifer basketball coach. Okay, he would coach basketball. If he walked down the street and he saw kids in the park, he'll go over there and try to coach them. He'll coach high school. He'll coach men's, women's, anybody. He'll coach your, your business group. Okay, he's a coach. And, you know... So, this, this business is hard and it's hard on your body and, you know, we're all competitive and sometimes our bodies tell us, Hey, we got to move in a different direction. And it was cool to see coach up there. And you notice I call him coach cause he always tried to help young guys in this business. Even if you were competing against them, he always took the time to talk to you about the business, things that were happening and everybody doesn't do that. So, to see him up at Niagara, him getting honored, all his people coming back to, to really tell him thank you was awesome. But the person that, that made it even cooler for me was meeting his wife. Okay? Because people don't understand, you know, you've been in this business 30 years and you've been married. Your wife does a lot with your kids. She takes them to all the baseball games, little league. She does the crying in the car you know, dad gets a lot of credit because you're a coach, so everybody thinks his son's good because of this. And, you know, I know his wife did a lot of the heavy lifting. And then you get home and you're beat up because your team's not playing well. So now you're not that friendly when you walk in the door. And, you know, when you see someone that's, that's been in this life this long and you finally get to meet his wife and, and you stand there and you know what she's done this whole time, and now she's stepping up front to make sure everybody sees the great man that her husband still is, you know, and that's that strength right there. And so for me, you know, it's sad when when coaches don't get to stop how they want, um, but it was it was uplifting to see his wife be able to walk out there with him and be that, that rock for him when he needed it the most.
2: I'll tell you what, he left Hofstra in a pretty good place uh, on the basketball court as well as off – We'll take a quick pause here on the King and Badger podcast when we come back from this break. Our guest for this episode will be joined by George Pappas, current senior guard on the King and Badger podcast. Back here with our guest for episode two of the King and Badger podcast, we got... Fifty-year super senior guard George super. Pappas. Jersey guy, super. A lot of things to talk about with George.
0: Super.
2: <laughs> we got applause. Sound
0: effects.
1: Yes, sir. We tuned. Bring tune. it, bring
0: it, bring it. G money, G money in the yeah. building. Let's go.
1: Let's go. G money, one of my very many nicknames. What
2: other? What? Uh, what else you got?
1: We got G Pap. We got G money. We got G. We got GPZ. We got GPZ Make It Look Too
0: Easy. And a lot more that you know. But those are the main ones. Where are you from again? Jersey. Jersey in the building. Cause those are definitely Jersey nicknames. Who gave them to you, George? Uh please tell me you didn't give yourself those nicknames. Nah,
1: nah. G Money <laughs> came from Meeksy.
0: Meeksy uh, in the building. Jamal
1: Meeks. G Pap really came from either Mike or Ray. One of those two guys, and then it kind of just stuck. Those are really that GPAP is the main nickname. GPZ, Jar- Jarvis gave it to me this year, and I love it.
0: Okay, uh, okay. Jarvis in the house.
1: Every every game we dap up, he goes, GPZ, make it look too easy. And, uh, yep. Okay,
0: okay. I, I, I. I'm trying to understand why that's cool, but badge, I'm I'm old now, badge. I'm old. No. I'm um, I'm old, so I guess G Peasy. As long as you keep making it look so easy like <laughs> yesterday, we'll call you whatever you want to be called, G Peasy. How many of those do you call do you call him by? I think I call him G Money. I call him George because that's what his mama his mama named him George. I'm gonna call him George. All right? That's how I do. I got I got my own son, his, his name is Xander now. I'm like, when did we change your name? He was like, well, dad, nobody calls me Alexander. I said, I call you Alexander. So I call George, George Pappas. <laughs> Not g p z g G-Money, all of the above. I call him George. So do I. Okay. <laughs> we call you Badger, though.
2: We we do.
0: Because you don't wear a coat in the winter.
2: That's also true.
0: And you play hockey. I do. Okay.
1: George, Go George knows a little bit about hockey. Go Devils.
0: He doesn't like the devils, George. I know. Uh, He might cut your mic off, bro. Be careful. (laughs) You're the guest, man. You got to keep your mic on, George. Uh,
2: George, welcome to the show. Uh, A lot to talk about with you guys. I'm going to kind of let you guys go. I'll stay a little bit out of the way here, but I want to go back to George Pappas' high school, George Pappas' PG year.
0: He didn't have that much game.
2: let's go through that
0: no i i'm i'm just joking i got (laughs) mad when i finally saw george i was mad at my staff I said, how we don't know about this kid how did we not know about him he got a ratchet like that and none of us knew yeah that was one of those days where i didn't have the right words badge that (laughs) that i can't say on the radio now that's what my staff got once i found out about george because when you can do what he can do Mamas is supposed to know about you when you're from Jersey, and we we messed up on a few kids over the years, but somehow the Lord brought us next to each other, and we were able to get it worked out.
2: What was it like from your end?
1: Well, so high school, I was 6'2", like buck 55 as a senior. Oh,
0: oh my goodness. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I was a little skinny white kid from Jersey, that thought he was the best player in Jersey. Didn't care what anyone really You thought. still think that? Yeah, for sure. No, he definitely
0: <laughs> thinks that now, guys. I don't, come on now. You, have you watched him? Do you know George, Badger? <laughs> I did a little bit. Okay. All right. Uh, so
1: in um in high school, wasn't really getting recruited at all by D1s and not even really D2s, uh, just straight D3s. And I was pretty much, well, you can't really commit, but I was committed to toughs pending an aCT ACT score I was really close with the the assistant coach there he was Greek um I love Boston I'm a Boston pretty much Boston everything fan uh doesn't really I have more sense. comments on that later <laughs> but uh yeah so once my ACT scores came back I need like a 27 I could I only got a 25 I was kind of like well, what the heck am I gonna do now so I pretty much decided to go to I put my deposit in to just be a regular student at St. Joe's in Philly with my best friend uh, Bailey. And we were supposed to, you know, just go be regular college students. And I was going to, you know, walk into the coach's office, try to walk on. But it was kind of one of those decisions that, like, you just knew in the back of your head it wasn't going to fall through. And it was my older brother, Tommy, that really pushed the prep school idea. Um, And that coach I mentioned from Tufts really helped me finding a prep school and, I ended up picking uh, Gould Academy in Maine. Uh, Coach Corey McClure, who's now at Kimball Union Academy. And, you know, it just felt right going there. And I ended up having a really, really good year. I averaged around 18 and 7. And I had a lot of Mac schools, a lot of NEC, America East schools reach out to me, but nobody nobody offered me. They were all interested, but nobody offered. And then um, after the season... Uh, it was time. I had a bunch of any 10 schools, uh, in division two, and it was time to commit. And I was half a second away from picking up the phone and calling the coaches at St. Anselm's. But on my official visit, it just didn't feel right. I didn't, I didn't feel, it just didn't feel right. Me committing there. And so I called him and just said, I couldn't go. And he was like, and he was shocked. He's like, what what the, where are you going then? And I was like, I don't know. I'll figure it out. (laughs) So, uh. One day earlier in the fall, uh, George Mason was at one of our pickups watching us play, and I had three back to back to back plays where I just pulled up from half bang, bang, bang. And after the third one, I got my hand stuck in, uh, going for a loose ball, and then one of my fingers was just pointing the opposite direction. And like I looked down at it, and it was right in front of the college coach that I was there. I was like, oh, and then I had to go to the, I had to go get it put back in place. It was broken, but, uh, They kept in contact with me uh, throughout the year. They obviously never offered, but uh, they offered me a preferred walk on spot, gave me, uh, took me on an official visit. And, you know, my uncle went there. I have a whole lot of family in Virginia. So I eventually just uh, decided I was going to go walk on at George Mason. And um, after prep school, came home around late May. And uh, me and my best friend, my basketball best friend, uh, Divine Eke, who played at Ryder, uh, he lives two houses down from me. We just went literally everywhere around the state of New Jersey hooping. We were playing pickup three times a day. Just wh- whoever said we're playing pickup, we'd go. So one morning, we played pickup somewhere in Irvington, and then we went to Ruckers, and then it was like 2, 3 o'clock. We're just sitting in the Chipotle parking lot in uh, Clark, New Jersey, and uh, look, just looking for somewhere else to Sounds play. Sounds like
0: fun, George. Sounds like fun. <laughs> Sounds like fun. <laughs> uh,
1: just looking for a place to play. And then uh, <laughs> Mike Williams from a former Rutgers player hit up Divine and said, said, yo, we're playing pickup up a Monmouth. I looked up how far Monmouth was, said like 45 minutes. I said, all right, we out. Drove down to Monmouth, uh, saw Marcus McClary. Uh, I've been playing against Marcus since I was in fourth grade. So, you know, so it's up to him a little bit. And then... Uh, The teams were me, Devine, Mike Williams, Marcus Towns, another Jersey guy went to Loyola Chicago, and Big Sam. And we won nine straight games, and I think I missed maybe one shot. And everyone was pissed.
0: And the coaches were not watching George Mason. They tried to say we was watching. We wasn't watching. We just heard he hit all them shots.
1: And then basically one thing led to another. After pickup was done, uh Coach Ricky asked me who the heck I was. And you know, I didn't think anything was gonna happen. So I was like, Oh yeah, I'm going to George Mason, I'm George. Uh and then once I told Devine, he was like he was like, George, you know he's he's interested in you. I was like, Yeah, right. Devine went over to him, said straight up, Y'all interested in my man's? What's up? And they go, Yeah. And he goes, You know he's a walk on, right? They said, Really? And Devine and then they basically told me, Come back tomorrow, do what you did. And then we'll talk. I came back the next day, didn't hit all the shots, but showed I could hang And Coach Rice said, listen, like, I don't have a scholarship to give you, but you come walk on one year, red shirt, and then the next four years you got on a scholarship, I promise you. And I was like,
0: will you tell my dad that? <laughs> will you tell my dad that? So I was like, who is this kid? <laughs> <laughs> Why will I tell your dad? You think I'm lying to you? Go ahead. And
1: then... And then you know, the next day, my dad came down. They uh, toured us around the school. We met with uh, Dr. McNeil, and basically we had family dinner that night and talked about it. And I said, I think it's a pretty, uh, pretty clear-cut decision here, right? <laughs> and next thing you know, I'm a mama talk. Been good since then, huh? Oh, it's been awesome, yeah.
0: And it's it's, you know, George coming here was great for us. Um, But just getting to know his family, knowing his brother now after these four years, going into this fifth year, his mom, his dad, you know, just their whole family. You know, this has been really cool for us, him being a Jersey kid um, that loves ball the way he does. You know, we got rewarded um, by him coming here, all right? We got – we were the lucky ones, you know, and there's kids out there right now that – people are telling them aren't good enough They have that same fire that George has. And if you keep your head in the right place, now George has put himself through a lot of work, but it's paid off for him. And it's, it's just cool that now, and I know badge wants to talk about your fifth year and how we got to that, but I want him to know and everybody who's going to hear this podcast, how lucky I've been as a coach to have a kid like George Pappas you know, that came in and just worked his way. All right, it's an old school story. He worked his way into this life that he's getting to live now. And he didn't stop believing. I never stopped believing. His family stayed with him the whole time. They're his biggest supporters. And he probably should write a book about it because there's families out there that could learn from this family on how to go about your business in this college basketball game.
2: Well, to compound off of that, the successes George has had these last couple of years, everybody knows about. And it's been well-publicized. But even when George got here, and he's such a hard worker, and he, he comes in, he doesn't redshirt because he plays so well. But then his sophomore year, and I know George still knows the numbers, he comes out and he's not making shots, or simply just not making shots. You stuck by him through all of that. What did you see in George at that point in time to know these are going to start going in?
0: Well, guys, it's bigger than basketball. Okay, it's way bigger than basketball, what I've been blessed to be able to do. okay, I know George is going to make shots. That part is he's shown me that so many different times. All right. But it's bigger than that. At that time, he needed someone to believe in him to help him get through a hard time. By me, not playing him at all, knowing that I think his next shots going in would have been bad coaching on my part. But then it would have been terrible for him as a kid. You know, the person that's telling you he believes in you like this. When it goes wrong, you need that person more. You, you don't need him to turn his back on you, to, to start looking at you funny or coach you different. He needed me more then than he probably ever did. And that's when I'm going to be there for these guys, you know. This is the cool time because he's done this, okay. When he was missing, I was calling the wrong stuff and putting him in bad spots. Uh, I kind of like that. And this, this guy, I, I said it a couple weeks ago, every coach should get a chance to coach a kid like him just to watch his growth and how competitive he is and how he cares about the team and he cares about his guys while he's trying to make a name for himself, which is a fine line to walk, all right? He wants to prove who he is as a player still. So it's a fine line that he has to walk, and I'm just lucky that he chose here and let me be a part of his journey.
2: We get through four years. We have the COVID season last year. And the NCAA comes out and says, guess what? Everybody's got another year. You got a free year to take. It's been talked about a little bit. I don't know how much we've really dove into it, but I, and either of you can take this. Kind of encouraged you to look into the portal, George. And, and Coach kind of said you should take a look, as he did to all of our, our seniors last year. What was that conversation like? And what was that process like for you? Uh, up until the point where you decided that you wanted to come back?
1: Well, first off, last year when the NCA said that we all have extra year, I didn't believe it. <laughs> I was like, yeah, okay, I, like I thought there I thought it was I treated last year as if it was my last year. So after the season, uh, once we got back from Atlantic City, it was coach Ricky that I, we got in the, the loading dock and I must have talked to him for at least an hour, two hours just about life, basketball, next steps, and that's when I really realized, like, oh, wow, like, I actually have an extra year. And then, you know, Coach Rice straight-up told Dion, Marcus, Malik, and I that we 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 could go on the portal. He has our full support to go on the portal, and we ha- for sure have the option to come back, and there's not many coaches in the country that would do that. Like, I had people that I know play basketball hit me up and say, like, you, you actually are allowed to go back. Like, my coach would never – so that just that just shows the type of guy Coach Rice is, and how blessed uh, that us four seniors were to be in that position. So I eventually, uh, you know, through talks with my family and Coach Rice, like it, it it just made sense to put my name in the portal just to see what would happen. And and it wasn't just let's put my name in the portal and get out of here. It was it was just let's see what could happen. And you know I did that. And I think last year was, like, a record amount of people in the transfer portal. And so, I like, as I said earlier, I I was not recruited out of high school. So I really did not, like, this is my, when I put my name in the portal, this is my first time really actually being recruited like that. So, like, the first school to call me is Wake Forest. And I was like, what the heck is going on? (laughs) Uh and then a school, a mid major in the Midwest, texts me. They're going to call me within the next thirty minutes. Thirty minutes go by. I get a call from a random number. I'm like, okay, it's them. It's not them. It's the University of Georgia. I'm like, what the? Heck? And I asked him. I said, like, SEC Georgia. He goes, yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, what the heck is going on? So, and you know, I had I had schools from all over, high major, mid major, D twos hitting me up like, <laughs> and basically, uh. You know, my goal was to try to go to a high major where you know they were going to be good because I'm a winner. I don't like losing that one bit, so I wasn't just going to transfer to a high major just because they were hitting me up saying, "Hey, come here and be a high major player." I wanted to go to somewhere that had a good culture, had a chance of winning, and that I could actually help the team. And I told these coaches straight up when they asked what I was looking for, I told them exactly what I was looking for. I have a great situation at Monmouth. I I'm going to come back, be the guy play 30 plus minutes a game so especially with the mid manager I told them if you're not offering anything better than that then then there's no reason for me to leave and with the high majors I, I said I told them that thing too I was like if you know I'm coming looking to be a part of a winning program and stuff like that and basically as the weeks went on uh you know I just my mind my mind was kind of made up I still I still fielded these calls but the first week, I was like, oh, well, I'm out of here. I'm out of here with all the schools calling me. But after a couple weeks, I was like, you know, I'm, and I didn't tell anyone. I was like, yo, I'm staying. I'm staying at Monmouth. And then uh, that's what happened. I think a month into the portal, I called Coach Rice, and I was just, I was in Virginia with my grandparents, and I was just bugging. I was like, yo, Coach, like my family's telling me a whole bunch of different stuff. I don't know what to freaking do. And then, you know, he just, he just kept being – the same coach he's been for these past four years just keep supporting me with whatever i do and and that's really what, what the biggest thing that weighed into my decision is the type of guy coach rice has been throughout these these past three three four years and i knew i wasn't gonna get that anywhere else and i built a home here i've I kept saying that for as as long as i've uh been here this is my home so there's no reason for me to leave and i'm happy as
0: hell i didn't do you remember that phone call coach Guys, I remember the whole thing. I was talking to them all the time, and, you know, a lot of people see this transfer portal how they want to see it, okay? And I'm here for the kids. I've always been here for the kids, and especially once you graduate, okay? Once you graduate, we, we made a deal. I made a deal with Georgia's family and all their families that they will be a college graduate at the end. And once you graduate, you you get to go out into the world and do your thing. Now we have this this one year that these guys get back. I couldn't change who I was. We made a deal through graduation. Now, just like Coach Smith did with me multiple times, I had to give them the options that's best for them, okay? And going out into the world and seeing where – you might be able to land, and I, I'll tell everybody. We call Carolina. I call Villanova. There were certain ones that need what George do. And they needed it, and he would have helped them last year, this year, whatever year he was on their team. And when those ones weren't the ones, I thought this was the best one. But some really big time people came to 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 the table, and Wake Forest. I'm friends with them, and I told them you should try hard to get them. Because this kid is a real dude, and they're having a great year this year, and George would have helped them. Um, so I was open with all these guys. And Dion told me day one he was going to the pros. He was like, Coach, I'm. Uh, it's time for me to go to find out if I'm going to be able to do this pro thing. Cool. Marcus said, Coach, I'm not going to any other school, so I'm going to come back here. I was like, okay, Cool. Malik went through it a little bit and found something for him, which were Malik texted me two nights ago. Congratulations. He'll always be one of our kids. He's a mammoth man. Um, And then George's deal. We talked a lot. We talked a lot. And I was fortunate that George would talk to me about who was calling, what they were talking about. And we won't say names, but there was one mid-major coach that just straight was lying. And now that it's played out. George sees it now, okay? They came with a whole bunch of hype about we're going to this and we're going to that and we're going to this and and you're going to all this stuff. And he told, like, 12 other kids that same stuff. And it was like, hey, G, I think I called him G-Money that night. (laughs) I think I said G-Money. Check it out, bro. That one dude isn't telling you the truth, man, and I'm going to be sick if you listen to that one, okay? And I wasn't making it. That dude was not being honest with him. And when someone's your kid, even though it's time for them to go out in the world and find their way, you still got to give them the best information you, you have. And so that's what I did. I, I worked with these guys, and, you know, I would have been sad if George went to another school, although I was encouraging him because that might have been what was best for him. Once it wasn't one of those national championship teams, there was no way I thought there was a better place for him than here because I know what he wants. He's told me, we've talked about it, and I want it for him. I can't say more than he wants it for himself, but I'm right behind him, okay? And he knows that, and I'm working to try to get him there. So I'm glad he's with us. He's gotten better as a player over every year, but you can see a big jump this year, and that usually happens. He would be playing in the pros somewhere, putting up good numbers, but he's here and helping us. To our, to our best start in, in Division I history, and he's still going to play better. And I got on him this morning. I met with him already today and told him I need more of certain things from him. Okay? And it's hard to say that when a kid is giving you as much as he's given us, but there's still more in there, and I know it. And because of our relationship, I can hit him with that. And tell them, and I can go off on them at halftime, and they don't take it personally, and they come and rock with me just like I rock with them. And that's what Monmouth basketball is all about. We take care of each other.
2: (laughs) I see that firsthand every day, and I think I don't think there's a person around here that's upset about the decision George made. It's awesome having him back. Probably that. that Those girls, those girls, (laughs) those girls, they're probably probably mad.
0: They're like, why didn't you? You should have sent them on their way, Coach. See, they, I might have just, just got him in trouble, though, because George <laughs> keep that to himself, you know what I mean? I don't know if he got a lady friend or ladies. I don't know which one it is. G, you better speak up if you got a lady, though, because she's going to be upset.
1: Yeah, I just, just go home, play video games, and then go to practice. I don't...
0: <laughs> See, you can hear it in his voice. His voice is cracking. He's like, I just... <laughs> <laughs> you can tell he uses that voice for other things than yelling at me on the bench or... Man, George, you just sounded like you should be on Radio today Hey, this is <laughs> W Monmouth, and this is George Pappas bringing you the late night jams. <laughs> Come on, George, you don't sound like that, bro. Talk, use your normal voice. Uh, can't, he can't find it right <laughs> now. Hey, I got him. I got him. That's right. We got to silence him. We got to every once in a while badge. Y'all know I'm out of control over here. And <laughs> you bring the kids in, I got to get them got to get
2: him. That's what we're here for. I know something that will get you talking. I I don't I don't hate to bring this up, but I feel like it's almost a prerequisite. I don't think we've ever gotten coach publicly to talk about this. Uh so we're we're going to do a little bit of it real quick. We're going to go back to Allen Fieldhouse, Kansas, November 2019. We all know what happened. We don't need to go through that again. What happened? We all know what happened.
0: We lost by 500. <laughs> uh, yeah. Was it close? <laughs> No, because I don't remember what happened in Kansas.
1: We lost. We lost uh,
0: by a good amount. Bill Self's team. Yeah, that Kansas. Yeah, yeah. The, that, that the one. Jayhawks. The Jayhawks. Were they rock chalk Jayhawk? They us? sure were. About <laughs> like, three hours before tip. Like and then like at the time of the game that y'all I don't remember that you're about to ask George were they rock chalk jalking? <laughs> rock chalk. I'm not sure what
2: they were doing. Something like
0: that. Like okay, <laughs> they they had already started that. Yeah, it was right about at that point. I'm starting to have them remember. I <laughs> starting to bring something back to me. I I, I remember seeing that hey okay you I was like, what are they doing? There's a game going on out here. Don't they understand there's a game still going on? The game was still going on. And then what happened can confirm. What happened? Uh, George, why don't you tell him?
1: Uh I just uh I blame it on Coach Rice. <laughs> oh, <laughs> now the truth is about to come, come out. Now Coach the truth Rice. is about I think we to got come him out. Again. I think we got him talking again. Oh, my goodness. Hey, that's,
0: I, we got to shut him down. That's enough. Welcome to the Mama Rice. Show and good night.
1: <laughs> I blame it on Coach Rice specifically for this reason. Before the Thursday night, we played on a Friday night. On Thursday night, Coach Rice, we had a meeting after film, and he was just like, guys, this isn't your regular high major game. And you know, we've we've been blessed. We played a lot of high major schools. My freshman year, we played at UVA, Kentucky at the Garden, Yukon. And then the night before, we just played at Kansas State. So we've played a lot of high major games. And he said, guys, this isn't your regular high major game. He's like, This is Kansas. You guys are playing in Allen Fieldhouse. The guy it's named after was coached by James May Smith. And then Al Fog Allen coached my coach Dean Smith, who coached me. And he was making all these crazy historical connections. I was like, oh damn. <laughs> and then he was like, this is a game you tell your grandkids about. So we get on the we get onto the court. There's like 90 minutes before tip. The whole student section's already filled out. I'm like, what the hell's going on? <laughs> Like, they're already, they're chirping at me. I was playing maybe like 15 minutes a game. They're chirping at me. I didn't even, I wasn't even infamous yet. I was just, I was just out there. You are just G-Pep. You just, weren't
0: P Z yet yet. <laughs> I wasn't g yeah. yeah. Okay. Not, All right, yeah, not, yeah. Yet. Not, yet. not yet. I was
1: just trying to get the feel, trying to make sure my shot was good. And they're yelling at me. I'm like, damn, what the heck. And then, um, you know, I was feeling really good in warm ups. You know, I'm not much of a jumper, but I was doing back scratches and ups. The adrenaline was pumping. I'm like, oh yeah, let's go. By uh, the time I check into the game, we're down like twenty-two to one. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you know, the game goes on. Halftime comes, and I'm the, we the game's over. You know, and I don't like saying that, but we like the game was over. And I'm like, I'm like, yo, I gotta catch a dunk in here. Like this, this atmosphere is crazy. I gotta catch a dunk in here. So if you rewatch the game, like the last ten minutes. I'm leaking out
0: crazy. That's my fault. that's my <laughs> fault everybody remember how we started this story. this was my fault.
1: So all right so I, and I did have like 12 points in the second half but uh so the guy um, the guy dribbling the clock out there's like 10 on the clock and he's kind of dribbling it very nonchalantly and I didn't like how he was dribbling it. It was a little too cocky for my liking and, and honestly they could do whatever they wanted. They beat the crap out of us. So they could have done whatever they wanted. I was cool with it. But at the same time, I was like, you know what? Like, I'm not going out like this. So I took the ball. I t- we were in a 2-3. I took two <laughs> steps toward the bench as if the game was over. And then I just I burst toward the ball. And once I took it, I blacked out. I don't remember dunking it.
0: That's my fault.
1: <laughs> I'm just saying, that's my fault. Remember everybody. Boy, if you didn't make all these crazy connections saying this is something you tell your grandkids, I wouldn't have done it. <laughs>
0: I was talking about playing in Allen Fieldhouse, George. That's all I was talking about, G.
1: So I dunked the ball, and then I land. So I blacked out from the moment I stole the ball and then landed. So I watched the video, and I'm like, oh, my God, I really did this. <laughs> so I landed, and I thought I heard it. It was so loud in there. I thought I heard a whistle. I thought it was an M1. So I was like, yeah, M1, and said some words I for sure shouldn't have said. And then I look at the ref, and he's giving me a tech. And that's where you know the camera sees me saying some words I shouldn't have said, but uh,
0: but you're from Jersey, yeah, exactly. But you're right. from Jersey, you to Let everybody know exactly. right then. That's hey, I'm. Fr- he just said everybody, I'm from Jersey. Uh-huh. That's what he said, and that got you on the Rome show.
1: Yeah, Jim Rome, huge I th- fan.
0: I think <laughs> you became G <G-P-Z> then. <laughs> that might have happened then. I don't know.
1: We were actually we were actually at Pitt like three nights later, and we were waiting for the bus. And then Badge comes up to me. He's like, yo, you seen this? I'm like, what? He gives me the phone. And then it's Jim Rome loving everything I did. (laughs) And he's like, that's that Jersey attitude that I love. Everybody's hating on him. I love it. I need more Jersey cats around me. And then eventually it led to my mom calling the show, getting on the show. And then I I sent him my Jersey. And I signed it. And he actually wore it on the show. And that was awesome. And there's a in, in our uh, at our home games, the band has a picture of him wearing my jersey that they hold up whenever other teams are shooting free throws. And every time I see it, I just start laughing mid game. But uh yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't I would do it a hundred percent of the time if I could do it. I just wouldn't get the tech. I wouldn't act it the way I acted. But I would dunk the ball and do what I did again if I could've.
0: That one was definitely different, everybody. Mm-hmm. And, um, no, nah, during that game, it, like George said, it started out. They're making everything. And, guys, I believe we're going to win every game going into it. I, I have myself convinced if we can just do this, if we can just do that. They came out and hit, like, five or six threes to start the game. They never do that. They had played uh, UNC Greensboro the week before to, like, a 10-point game. Greensboro, my man Wes Miller had them all messed up. I'm watching all these games. They come out and hit all those threes. I was like, man, how, how all of a sudden they can shoot? And then how the game went. After a while, it really, the game was over. Okay, well, now our experience needs to be a good experience. That's that's where I go to. Okay, now we got, we got to start playing, guys, just so we don't embarrass ourselves because you're going to feel terrible about this. We, we found our footing in at least – From that point forward, we were just doing okay. We were hanging on out there. It was obviously not our night. Um, But you had to take a step back for a second. And just that we got to be playing Kansas on that court that day, that our program got to do that. I never like to lose at all, and that that 50-banger is hanging on my head still, okay? But that experience for our kids to be able to go in that building and see people there an hour and a half before the game going crazy, how everybody's into it. The whole state shuts down to watch those guys. And for two hours, they were watching us too. And they're going to tell their kids about that. And that experience with George, I wouldn't wouldn't trade that either. All right, the game was not over. Um, you, You don't like the extra stuff because I knew they would come after him. You know, the party didn't tell, the things that were on his phone by the time he got to the locker room where or that's not supposed to be in college athletics. You know, so you know as a coach those things are coming when you, and especially me for some of the things I did when I was younger. You give people a reason to jump on you, and I don't want that for any of my guys. So I, I go into protective mode, and but they're big boys. They know how to handle stuff. And, you know, George's whole story is cool. Just listen to him from – from starting at his high school, you know what I mean, to experiencing these things at Monmouth, being a Jersey guy, you know, before he went off to school somewhere else doing it here, you know, and he's a northern New Jersey guy. I know you Jersey guys don't play that, so we welcomed him down here. I don't even want to call Central Jersey because then you get in trouble for that. No, I'm North we, Jersey guy. We we invited him down to the 105 exit, <laughs> and he came. You know what I mean? So let's 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 celebrate this young man and his family and what they've meant to us, and and it's not done yet. You know, George is having a great start to this year, and he's not gonna stop. Okay, because I'm gonna keep pushing him, and he would not stop anyways. And He's going to be one of the favorites for a long time. He'll always come back because that's just who he is. And he's growing as a dude every day. You know, I I got to watch him come in as a young cat that thought he had a lot of answers. George thought he was mature as a senior, as a freshman. Now he's a fifth-year guy seeing and going, Coach, I wasn't that immature. And I'm like, no, George, you were just like them. You were just like these 18-year-olds I got now that, that get on your nerves. That was you four years ago. So he'll come back and help me, help me with these dudes, just like most of them do help me with the young guys once they've been through it. Cause sometimes I need help with the young guys.
2: What's that been like for you with some of the younger guys on our team now to uh, obviously five years removed from being a freshman yourself, but mentoring them, getting them used to college basketball life.
1: Uh, It's, it's actually kind of fun at the start of the year. I'd get annoyed quick. Like
0: real quick, and he would tell me, "Coach, they're too immature. We're not gonna be good because they're too immature. They don't know how to act, Coach." All preseason, that, that was, his voice was voice Oh, that was his voice real voice. voice. That, that's George's <laughs> real voice, not this one y'all are hearing today. <laughs> I right, coach and these dudes immature, man. I don't know what we're gonna do. <laughs> but basically, I found I found a
1: way to to have a good a good uh, medium of being kind of a strict leader and also being their friend. Like, there, there are times, like, early in the year, I pulled, I pulled aside Teron Allen, and I just let him know what it was. I said, you're going to be good for us, but right now you got to focus on this, this, and this. And I told him, like, listen, you're in college. you got to have fun. But this has to come first. You want to go out on a Friday night, you got to make sure you don't have anything to do Saturday that's, that you're going to be affected by if you go out Friday night. And I told him how I used to do it, how I learned from my mistakes, and how it's got to be done you got to handle your stuff first and then enjoy college and that's what I figured out around uh around after the season sophomore year I really figured that out and then I caught my groove junior year senior year and then now I'm doing what I'm doing but it's just all about finding a rhythm and figuring out your priorities first of course you're a freshman in college you're gonna want to have fun but you you're here for a reason and that's what I told them and you know, he's he's given us a couple really good minutes uh, and he's going to get really, really good. And, you know, hanging around them. They are immature, but as they should be, <laughs> they're young, but they're they're fun. They're fun, fun kids. And I love being around them. And I said this the other day when we went on our Buffalo trip uh, a couple weeks ago uh, and we went uh, we went out to eat. Like everybody was sitting together, engaged in conversation. And I haven't had that. Uh, since I've been here. Like, everybody was together. Like, there, was, there wasn't a couple people here, a couple people there. Like, everybody was engaged. Everybody was enjoying each other's company. And, you know, that's just really cool to have, especially, you know, being gifted this extra year, seeing everything work out, and and everybody coming together and having the same common goal. That's like, it couldn't be going better right now. Obviously, those two losses sting, but that's basketball, but... The way it's been going, I couldn't have asked uh, for anything better.
0: George, how did you feel when Coach had you guys shave this preseason? Because your beard is looking kind of shabby right now, so we might have to talk about it.
1: (laughs) Uh, So a couple dudes messed up off the court, and Coach Rice's punishment was for everybody to shave. And I was like, Coach, what now? Because I just shaved shaved, like a week before that because I wanted my beard to grow back a little more full and I just shaved, and it just got back, and then he's just making everyone shave now. I pulled him aside. I was like, Coach, no. I was like, I didn't do it.
0: Can we do something else? <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't involved. <laughs> <laughs> See, I got all these good-looking young men on my team, and everybody's covering their face up with a beard, and we're college guys. We're not old, scruffy dudes. So we had to shave and get it, get us back to understanding we're college guys. And the coach can't grow one, so. <laughs> they, they and were, normally, I We like, might be having another shave class here soon.
1: And I like keeping my beard, you know, trimmed and, and you know. Not he too, thinks he's hot. That's what long. it is. Yeah. Right. He, 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 he <laughs> I like the trim, keeping it uh, trimmed, but uh, <laughs> but I saw a picture of me during quarantine, and I really grew my beard out. And I was, I'm was, i not going to grow it as long as it was during quarantine, but I was like, you know, like, it's, it's winter break. I might grow it out a little bit, but it's not going to get that long. I'll probably trim it soon, but.
0: Please trim it, George, because there's a there's a beard guy out here that if people's beards look raggedy, we will be shaving again. We will be shaving again. Okay, so let's just, just looking it at me. He I'm always keep my line. But right now you right now up. you looking a little shady. You scored thirty, now your beard looking like badgers. We're gonna have to have a talk. <laughs> And Badge, we're going to have to have a talk, too, because it's the King and Badger show. We can't have your beard all over the microphone. (laughs) Just in case anybody's wondering what Badge looks like this afternoon.
1: I'm also growing my hair out, so I'm not going to a barber, so I kind of trim it myself, and, you know, I might not do it right, but I think I do a pretty good job.
0: Okay, everybody, if you're friends with George on Instagram, Twitter, any of those things, please text him and talk to him and tell him don't do that. All right, that's not a good look. That's not a good look. That went out in the 70s. The beard with the long hair mullet is not a good look.
1: Mullet, no, I'm not having a mullet. I'm not getting a mullet. (laughs) But I'm hearing a lot of good things. You know, some people ask, they say they like it.
0: Right, she likes you already, George. <laughs> she already likes you, bro. She yeah. don't fall for that, man. She's trying to get you to look so nobody else oh, will stop like that. you. Stop that! Stop She's that. like, oh, go ahead, let your hair grow out, get your beard real scruffy, so no one else will like you. You falling for that trick? No, no, no. Don't fall for that. The
1: beard, the beard that. is on me. The beard is on me. No, no girl's telling me to grow the beard. Oh I, my goodness! I, I'm doing it for myself, but it'll it'll, it'll get trimmed soon, probably. Probably around Christmas or something like
0: Man, that. Man, I'm having another flashback. I think that little tiny mustache I used to grow one time, I shaved it off because a girl said something. <laughs> you bringing that I, back or not? I can't believe I did that. <laughs> I shaved because they said, I think you look better if you shaved that little terrible mustache you're wearing. I shaved it.
1: <laughs> I really did. I
0: can't even believe I did. I, I'm surprised I didn't have some outlandish thing to say back, but... I shaved it, and I don't think I ever grew it back again. Who's seen the pics from Carolina with it? Yeah, that that was before I shaved it. (laughs) I used to put all kinds of stuff on there to try to make it look darker too, (laughs) because I couldn't grow any facial. I can barely grow it now. I really couldn't grow it back then.
1: Well but, honestly, I'ma say it's your fault again. Cause the other day you said you saw my brother and you said, George, his beard looks better than you. So I said, All right, man, let me try to get my No, no, no. He's <laughs>
0: he's an old head out of school, play at the park with his friends and he can go to work like that. You're you're like out in the world and little guys are watching you. They they're going, I wanna grow up to be like George. And their dads are going, Scombe's son might be saying that. And he's like, well, you're not going to have that beard. All right, that's what you got going on right now. He's like, I want to be like George Pappas, though. But his dad's going, no, we don't wear beards in the Viscomi family. You see? No, getting kids, at you know at like that, you might be right. Yeah, come on, man. You got, you got little kids watching. You go, I want a beard, too.
2: You already had refs telling you to take your uh, headband off already this year. so Yeah. That might be an indication.
1: Uh, that was the one. Th- I, I think he just didn't like me. He looked at me. He, he said, you know, I don't like this guy with the hair and the headband. I'm going to make him take his headband off. That's what I think. Nobody else made me take the headband off except for that game.
0: Well, just now you're wearing the right headband, so there's no reason for anybody to tell you to take it off, and we're all good, so we don't bring any more attention to that. Just keep wearing your headband, George. Yeah. That one that the NCAA allows us to wear, everybody. that's We follow directions at Monmouth. We follow directions. That's when you were supposed to hit that Jack Harlow. <laughs>
2: well, George, we appreciate you joining episode two of uh, of our podcast. Always a pleasure to talk to you. And I'm sure uh, this won't be the last time.
1: Uh, yeah.
0: Be careful, Badge. I don't know. He don't don't keep hitting jumpers. He won't get back on the King and be the Badger show. Badger and George over here. Where's Coach Rice? He quit because we got George on again. So we're just going to put George in this spot. Remember that golden voice. Go ahead, George.
2: We'll take one more quick break and wrap it up here on episode two of the King and Badger podcast. Things up here on episode two of the King and Badger podcast. Had a great conversation just now with George Pappas, covered every topic under the sun. Um, we'll get ready to wrap this up. want to, of course, wish everybody a happy holidays um, as we approach the holiday season. We're in the holiday season already. I um, want to wish everybody, of course, stay safe out there with uh, everything that's going on and, and has a good holiday with their families. And, and, coach, I know we have one more game before the holidays, but uh, Always a nice time of year to get our guys to be able to see their families and stuff like that.
0: Well, we we always get to go home for Christmas. And, you know, everybody, please stay safe out there. Uh, it just seems like this virus keeps going crazy all over. So please stay safe. Keep your people safe. Um, and hopefully these guys get to go home, see their families for a few days after our Hofstra game, and they remain safe. And then they'll come back, and it will be us and the girls team here just trying to – keep the virus off of us, and getting ready for a great Max season.
2: We're live on all the major podcast networks. We want you to like, subscribe, download uh, download our podcast. We will be promoting it all across our social media platforms, Monmouth Hawks on Twitter, Monmouth B-Ball on Twitter, um, Instagram, and anywhere else that you get your Monmouth athletic content. For all of our podcast content, monmouthhawks.com slash podcasts is your home.
0: And, Badge, before we go, you know I always got to throw some on the tippity-tippity top, but I want to ask our fans. Uh, at the beginning of our season, we had uh, some in- Instagram posts, I think it were, that I thought were hilarious. I thought they were so funny and um, witty, and it was a young fella that we know. We won't say any names, anything like that. But I think some of the fans saw some of the Instagram posts and might have liked them, So we want to ask you, should the young fella be able to have his Instagram about Monmouth basketball and share his thoughts on what's happening with the team? Or should we keep him on the sideline where he doesn't get to stir anything up or work on his creativity? I want him to work on his creativity because I think those things I heard, they were super duper funny, even though I'm not on Instagram. But if the fans vote and say, hey, they'd like to have that young fella have an inside look and tell everybody what's happening, we sure would enjoy that.
2: Let us know. Let us know what you think. Appreciate everybody checking it out. And like I said, like, subscribe to our podcast. This has been Episode 2 of the King and Badger Podcast.